I'm going to ask you to stand now, and if you have your Bibles out, still turn a few pages over. We're still in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The life of Moses comes to an end, and then we come to Joshua chapter 1. And I'll be reading tonight the entirety of this chapter, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Hear now the word of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses." Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Amen. You can be seated. You have to have been in the OPC a long time, probably, to know or remember the name Matthew Baugh. 
Matt Baugh was called to the fledgling work of the OPC in Haiti back in 2005, and he seemed in many ways a man uniquely gifted, a man uniquely prepared for that work there in Haiti. He had been a minister, had been experienced, but not only that, he had a background in Haiti. He had grown up some years there. He knew the language, and so even as he and his family traveled to Haiti, it seemed like he could get going with the ministry right away. He went there, and it wasn't even a year into his ministry that the Lord took his life. He was killed in a motorcycle accident there on National Route 1 in Haiti. And many people mourned that loss. It was a great loss. It was hard to see. How does this exactly fit with what God has planned? And I remember that month of May when many people were saying, who's going to go? Who's going to go to take up that work? How will God do this? Is there someone to go? And in many ways, as we come to the first chapter here of the book of Joshua, we're like the OPC at that crossroads in the ministry of Haiti, looking back and saying, we've known Moses 40 years, right? 40 years Moses has led the people of Israel. And yet Moses is now gone, and the promise of God to take his people into the land is not yet fulfilled. But Moses casts a great shadow over the history of Israel. And so we come to verse 1, which is really a continuation of those first five books. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, It's not like this is a new story. This is just the continuation of that story that began with Moses. What we read earlier, the great plagues, the deliverance, the destruction of the army in the Red Sea. And yet here are the people of Israel not yet having laid hold of that promise, mourning Moses and wondering who is going to lead us into the land. And so the book of Joshua really is like season two of maybe your favorite television show, right? The first season is an introduction, it's kind of exciting, it's telling you about the, the characters, it's moving in a particular direction, but now it's season two. Maybe there's been some big changes, but this is the sequel, the continuation of the story. It's time for the people of God to enter into the promised land. It's time for them to lay hold of the inheritance that God has promised them. And yet this is the question that's before them. Who will lead them in? Who is it that God has chosen and ordained to take them into the land? Because it's not an empty land. It's not like they just go in and pitch their tents. They already know there's great cities there. They already know there's great fields. There's armies. There's enemies. But who is it that will lead them in? They need the next leader. What kind of leader does he need to be? 
And maybe one of the ways that we can understand who it is is just by looking through that first chapter. And maybe you heard that as I read it, that repeated refrain, be strong and courageous, four times in the chapter. And we're going to kind of use it to divide up the, the text and look at some of the themes of this book because... Right here in the first chapter, we're introduced to many of those themes that are going to be important through this journey that Israel makes as they cross the Jordan River and as they begin to lay hold and take hold of the inheritance that God has given them. So I want you to see tonight that as you prepare to enter the promised land, you need someone to lead you who is strong and courageous. is what an Israelite would have had to say, but I would say to you as well that that's what we need to say because there's a sense in which we as New Testament Christians living after the death and the resurrection of Jesus and yet before he comes again, we're in a situation that doesn't look all that different to the people of Israel here at the edge of the Jordan River about to cross into the land. So I want you to see first that you need to be strong and courageous, or we can be strong and courageous, because God is faithful. How would you eat? What would your eating patterns look like if you didn't know where your next meal is coming from? You know, I see this a lot in Haiti. It's a poor country. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And people don't always have the income they need for food. Prices, like everywhere, are rising, and yet food can't always get places either because of the gang activity and all of the problems there. And often what you see is when people get a chance to eat, they're going to eat all that they can because they don't know about tomorrow. I don't know if there's going to be a meal there for me tonight Kids even maybe can't really trust their parents because they don't know. Are my parents going to be able to work today? Are they going to be able to have money to feed me so I eat as much as I can? Israel had the manna in the desert. Maybe you remember that. Each day God faithfully fed them. Now they're coming into a new land, a new phase. And again, the question is, is God going to be faithful Is he going to lead us into this land as he's promised? Moses is dead. Who is God's leader who's going to remind us of God's faithfulness? Well, it's Joshua. That's what the text says. Because after the death of Joshua, the Lord, or after the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Joshua is the leader who has been appointed by God. And it's important to say, first of all, that we need to see what God is doing here in putting forth Joshua. He's named Joshua. His name means God saves. Yahweh saves. Because ultimately... It's not about just this one man, but even this one man, a faithful warrior, a faithful servant, a faithful leader, he is pointing people to the Lord who is their ultimate 
deliverer. He's the one who's going to save them. Yahweh saves. It's a reminder that it is through him. And what I want you to hear, not just tonight as we talk about Joshua chapter 1, but wherever you see the name of Joshua and whenever you read through this book, is that every time you hear the name Joshua, it's a reminder that Yahweh, the Lord, saves. And the Lord who saves is most clearly seen in Jesus, who is God with us. And in fact, the name Jesus, Yeshua, is the New Testament equivalent of this name. Joshua's very name is pointing us to the one and only Savior, the one true Savior who is Jesus himself. But how is God faithful here? How is God expressing his faithfulness to Joshua that he might know that he can trust God, that he might point the people to God? Well, we see it there is in verse 2, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And then further down, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And then again, down in verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. This is an ancient promise that God had given to the people of Israel, that he had promised all the way back to the time of Abraham. There we see, almost in these very words, God promising Abraham that he would give his people A land that he would give it to his offspring. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, we read, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, all of these tribes. That's the land that I'm giving. Them. Again, the promise is reiterated to Moses and the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 11. God is going to give them a land. They've never known what that's like. They've never had anything of their own. They've lived as slaves in Egypt, but now God is saying, this is going to belong to you and it's going to be a reminder that I am faithful and that I keep my promises. Because just as I promised it to Abraham over 400 years ago, so now it is coming true. So what about our promised land? We might look at this and say, well, that's great for the people of Israel. God is going to promise to give them this place where they might dwell, where they might raise their crops, where they might build their nation. But what about us? Well, our promised land is indeed the new heavens and the new earth. And in the same way, it's a reminder for us that we need to trust that God is faithful. Because we live in that time, we have something already, we have the promises of Jesus that are always true, and yet we've not inherited the land yet. Jesus says, I'm coming back, but he has not yet come back. And so there's more than just the promise of land that reminds us of God's faithfulness here, but also the promise of God's presence. 
Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You can imagine that these are comforting words to Joshua, that he needs these words. He's been Moses' assistant. He's always had Moses to instruct him, to tell him what to do, to reveal to him the will of God. And now he's leading the people on his own. But God reminds him that just as I was with Moses, just as I spoke to Moses, so I will be with you, I will not leave you or forsake you. God is going to go with him. Maybe you can picture that scene, the trenches in World War I. Right? The armies facing off against each other across that no man's land and it's time for the soldiers to go and to get out of the trenches, run across and defeat and take the enemy trenches. And the leader says, I want you to go and I want you to do that. And so he sends his men over. But isn't it much better if he's the one who climbs out of the trench, goes over the top first and leads his troops across. This is what God says he is going to do for Joshua. This is what God has done for us. It's a promise that we see all through the Old Testament, but a word that Joshua needs to hear, a reminder that God is faithful, that God keeps his promises because he is with him. And it's a reminder of a New Testament promise too, isn't it? Jesus, even as he's about to leave his disciples to return to his rightful place at God's right hand in heaven, what does he say? He tells them to go. He tells them to make disciples. He tells them to teach people. But there's a promise there. For I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the promise for us. And we're going to see God's faithfulness in the book of Joshua, that even as Joshua at the end of his life reflects back on all that God had called him to do, in Joshua 21, 45, he writes not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. We can be strong and courageous because God is faithful But we're also called to be strong and courageous by obeying the law. And that's kind of the second part of these first nine verses. We see that there's a reminder of God's promises, but now we come to God's law, his requirement of law-keeping. And this is going to be another important theme in the book of Joshua. God calls his people to be an obedient people, an obedient people in all things. One of the things that I do a lot in Haiti is I have traveled in the past from the mainland of Haiti over to the island of Lagonav and these little speed boats, they're 25-foot fiberglass boats, little wood benches in them, 25 or 30 people packed in their outboard motors. And it's kind of curious because at some points there's life jackets in there and before we even leave the wharf, the 
harbor master who's kind of in charge will come and he'll count up how many people are in there. He wants to see everybody with their life jackets on and, and tied down. If they don't have one, they have to grab one from somewhere else. But that usually only happens after there's been some kind of accident, after there's been some kind of incident on the sea where people have maybe even died. And all of a sudden, everybody's got to follow the law. But then as time goes on, nobody really cares anymore. It's there. It's the law. You need to wear a life jacket when you're out on public transportation on the water. But it's just not enforced. And so the law-keeping, you might say, comes and goes. It gets better. It gets worse. But that's not what God has called us to. Notice the language that he uses here. He says, Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Not to the right or to the left. Meditate on it day and night. We are to keep God's law before us always. But it points us to another reality, because it's not merely some kind of works righteousness where God is just calling us to do something that we're not able to do, where God is calling us to this standard that we cannot keep. But even these words, you shall meditate on it day and night, should remind us of Psalm 1, that blessed man who is described there in the very first psalm. And the way in which he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's pointing us again, first to Joshua. It's fascinating that Here in the book of Joshua, we don't really see anything negative in the way that Joshua is portrayed. But we know that he's not perfect, don't we? For there's no person who's perfect, who's lived a perfect life outside of Jesus. And yet it does point us to Jesus because it is God who saves, right? And it is Jesus, he's the one who loves God's law, who practiced it day and night, who meditated on the law of the Lord, who is a faithful servant of the Lord without sin. And he is the one who receives the blessing because there's a requirement for law-keeping, but notice too that there is a blessing when it happened. Only be strong and very courageous. This book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And the question we might ask here is, is this some kind of prosperity gospel that says if you do these things, if you really are faithful in obeying God, everything you do will meet with success? Well, we know that that is not true. That's not the way the Bible describes it because we can't keep the law, first of all. We need a perfect law keeper who is the Lord Jesus. But look at even the way in which Jesus is described in the Old Testament. If you go over to 
Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, we see there this language of good success, of prosperity. But how does it come? How is it that the suffering servant prospers in the sight of God? It's through his very suffering. Isaiah 53, verse 10, we read, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Same word. It is only through Jesus the faithful servant who's only pictured by Joshua here and the instructions given by God. It's only through Jesus that true prosperity comes and it is a spiritual prosperity, a true spiritual life that comes through Jesus and where Jesus calls us to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see, God cares most for our hearts. He wants us to be a people who are obedient to him. But you can only do it if you have looked to Christ first. If you see like Joshua that it is truly God who saves. Finally, we're called to be strong and courageous. Joshua is called to be strong and courageous because he leads God's people. Here, beginning in verse 10 and through the end of the chapter, we go from the promises that God gives, the commands that he gives, to the preparation for entry. They're almost there, right? You can see them, can't you, on the edge of the river, camping there. They can see the river. They can see the land, the promised land, with their very own eyes. But Joshua can't do it by himself. The promise isn't just for him. It is for all of the people of God. I remember when we first went to Haiti, one of our kind of first orders of business was to apply for our long-term residency permit so we didn't have to go out every three months and then come back in, fly to the Dominican Republic, come back to the U.S. And so that all happened in downtown Port-au-Prince, and we found out where we had to go. And so you'd go into the office, you'd kind of have to figure out what went on. It wasn't like there were big signs everywhere pointing you to the steps you had to do, the places you had to go to pay your money, what came first, then what came second. And we kind of learned it on the way, and I remember... Uh, one time we had to get fingerprinted, they had to collect those things, and so we go into the office and we sit there, and I think the, the woman took my fingerprints, scanned them into the computer, and then just as Heather sits down to do that, the power goes out. Not today. That's what she said. It's not going to happen today. We don't know if the power is going to come on. We don't know when that's going to happen, and so you... Uh, had to come back another week, and we kind of learned how to do it, but one of the lessons we learned through the process of all of that kind of paperwork in Haiti was, sure, we could take days of our life and figure out how to do it, 
But it's a lot easier to find someone who knows and to have them help you through the process, or even better, have them do it for you. And so much time was saved. But Joshua needed God's people. And so here he commands the officers of the people. We see that the people have godly leaders whom Joshua is commanding, saying, get ready to go. Get ready, prepare yourselves to cross the river. Joshua is calling on them to instruct the people, remind them of the promises of God, that God has been faithful to you. He's going to be faithful in the future. Pass through the midst of the camp, command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And God gives them godly leaders to remind them that God is faithful. One of the commentators has said that Yahweh's fidelity doesn't hinge on the achievement of men, however gifted they may be, whoever their leaders might be, nor does it evaporate in the face of funerals or rivers. You see, the people of God here had to encourage one another, even as they were taking up the task that God had appointed them to go across the river to defeat their enemies and to take the land that he had promised to them. And so Joshua has leaders who go with him. The people have leaders. But then he also is called to speak to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, if you don't know their story, these are three of the tribes of Israel who had asked for their inheritance to be on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They saw the land, they had lots of livestock, and they saw that it was good for that. And so they had come to Moses and asked that God might give them their inheritance there. At first, Moses had been angry with them because he thought they just wanted to shirk their responsibility. They were too afraid to go with the army into the land to try to defeat the Canaanites. But they said, no, we will go with the people. We will leave our little ones here. That's what we read in the text. They say, the Lord God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. But what's interesting here is this repeated refrain of rest. The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Here's another one of those themes that we're going to see all through the book of Joshua, this theme of rest. Not just temporary rest. The Israelites in the desert setting up their Hence, maybe after a day of long wandering, wondering when are we going to have to pick up our tent again and move on to the next place. No, this is a land of much more permanent rest. They've spent 40 years on their feet wandering. They, they want rest. They need rest. Who is going to give it to them? And Joshua says, I will give it to you, but you all need to go with me. And so they faithfully agree to do what they have promised to do, to send their men of valor, to go in with the people. Then you shall return to the land after it's all done and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. 
rest. We all need rest, don't we? Every day we get tired, we need to sleep. Sometimes we have weeks or months that just seem to be full of frenzied activity and we get tired physically and mentally, we need rest. But God comes to us and is reminding us here that we need more than that. We need an eternal rest that only God can give, a resting from our sin, a resting from fighting against our enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh. And that's what he has promised to give us. And it's just a little reminder here as Joshua speaks to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh of that good promise that Jesus gives in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? The, the greater Joshua is the only one who can give us that true rest because he forgives our sins. He takes away God's wrath. He reconciles us to God. And he gives us that place in the new heavens and the new earth. And then all the people answer, and I think this is the best way to understand verse 16. They answered Joshua. It's not just the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, but it's all of the people together. They answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Here's the people of God. You see, Joshua needs not just swords, men to hold swords to go in. He needs not just priests to carry the ark and all of the, uh, the parts of the temple in, or the tabernacle into the promised land. He needs not just the people to lead the livestock and all the supplies in, but he needs people who will obey. He needs people who will encourage him in his work. The people of God here now have recognized God's chosen leader, who for them at that moment was Joshua. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, they say, so we will obey you. We will obey you who have the Spirit of God. Listen to the way that Joshua is described as he's ordained as the new leader by Moses. In Numbers chapter 27, beginning in verse 15, Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Joshua is to be that shepherd for Israel. Joshua is to be that leader who has the Spirit of God on him. Because ultimately, this is a spiritual task, bringing people into the promised land, showing them that God is faithful, showing them that God loves them and has given them their law, but more than that, showing them that God is going to place them one day in that land forever. It's not going to be that place. You see, it's not about this little piece of land over across the Jordan River, but it is indeed about our eternal rest in the new heavens and the new earth. And so once again, Joshua points us 
to Jesus as the good shepherd. He points us to Jesus as the one who has the spirit without measure. Who are your leaders who are leading you on? I hope that you can say that your leaders, your pastors, your elders, your fathers, your mothers are leading you toward Jesus, toward that promised land and that hope. They're preparing you. They're teaching you. They're rebuking you. They're exhorting you. They're showing you your rest, pointing you to heaven. They're helping you to obey, pointing you to the Scriptures, pointing you always again to Jesus, even when you fall, to say, Jesus comes to pick you up again. Joshua is God's leader who is leading his people into the land, but ultimately he is the one named God saves, pointing us, pointing them to the fact that it is God who saves, Yahweh who points to Jesus. And so he reminds us that God is faithful and he is with us. He reminds us that Jesus has obeyed for us and so by ingratitude we too can obey. And he reminds us that we too have these godly leaders who point us to Jesus, the true head of the church, who we are called to give glory and honor as we wait for that day. We don't know when it's coming, but we wait for that day in obedience, in faith, when he will come again and usher us into the promised land, into the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you... Show us your grace, that even when we doubt, even when we look at the circumstances around us and wonder how can these promises come true, that you give us reminders. We thank you for Jesus and the way in which he fulfills all of the promises that they are indeed yes and amen in him. Oh Lord, help us to go into our week looking to you as the author and perfecter of our faith who has gone into heaven itself to prepare a place for us. Oh Lord, we look forward to that day and so we pray, come quickly Lord Jesus, but be with us, give us your spirit that we might live for you and that we might take these words, apply them to our lives and be witnesses for your kingdom even in this place. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.